And for those of you who don't know me, I'm Scott, one of the pastors here, and it's so great to be here with you this morning. You guys doing all right? Yeah? Are you ready for Christmas? It's 10 days away. Not sure if you knew that. Probably some of you are like, oh my goodness, it's only 10 days away. And others of you are like, oh yeah, I got it made. I'm, I'm fine. Uh, but wherever you are on that spectrum, obviously some of us are getting suitcases ready to go out of town. Others of us, we might be getting ready for people to come into town. And probably the other part of about Christmas is you've got your Christmas list. Anybody finish theirs yet? <laughs> I got one in the back. Yes. Way to go, Ben. Um, the rest of us were all kind of slaving away trying to finish our Christmas list. And uh, there's a lot of different things, of course, that are probably on people's Christmas list to buy. But one of the more popular items is something that we call an ancestry DNA kit. It's basically you spit on a stick, you send it into a lab, they connect you to other people who have spit on a stick, and you figure out whether you match. I know it's kind of a silly way to say it, but it is crazy. Like, you take this little tiny thing, and then you connect DNA, and it connects you to people all around the world. It's pretty remarkable, and uh, I'm sure probably some of you have done one of these. In fact, if you have, you're not alone. By the end of next year, over 100 million people will have submitted their DNA into one of four databases in order to be able to figure out how they're connected. And there's, uh, there's two primary reasons why people sign up and they commit their, uh, their DNA to one of these databases. And the first reason that people do this is because they want to know where they came from. They want to know their past. But then second, they want to leave a legacy. They want to look forward. And so for me, I haven't taken one of these tests, but I have an ancestry just like you do. And so I, I enjoy looking back. I um, I have a, a, a one side of the family, the Ball family. Mom's actually here this morning. And, um, and so they originated from England. And then my dad's side of the family originated in Scandinavia. And even though I don't know a ton about their history, it's really cool just to be able to have that sense of connectedness and belonging and that sense of story, right? To, to try to match up what's going on with my life and how it connects to other people's. And so I love to look back. But... As a dad, I also love to look forward. And so I've got four kids, three girls and a boy. And uh, one of the, the boys raising his hand, he's very excited. Uh, and so one of the cool things I thought I'd share with you this morning is when I want to leave a legacy, I don't want to pass on physical traits. I also want to pass on a, a name, a culture, and a faith, just like I'm sure you do as well. And uh, one thing I thought I would share today is related to Josiah. And so um, when we were thinking about what to name our, our son, uh, we decided on the name Josiah Scott Stake. My name is Jeffrey Scott Stake, and so he could carry on those initials, but he could kind of have his own unique name. But at the same time, he's Josiah, son of Scott. To so carry on, in essence, the, the name that he was given and to pass it down in order to make it crystal clear that he is Josiah, son of Scott, I gave him something. In fact, uh, I brought it up here this morning. This is a belt. It's got a belt buckle. Uh, I'm going to show you a picture. There's me wearing that belt when I was about three or four, I think, something like that. Got my cowboy hat on, got my belt buckle. I grew up in rural Louisiana. I was a farm dude. And, uh, and so what's cool is on the back of my belt, it says Scott on it. And so I gave my belt to Josiah several years ago, and that boy can still wear it. In fact, look at the picture. This was on Thursday. There he is. He's worn this belt like three or four years now. And uh, it's just a cool way to be able to pass on a legacy, to pass on a name. 
And in many ways, um, that's what we're going to be doing in this series that we're calling Jesus the Son of God. We started this series last week in which we're looking back. We're looking at the, in essence, kind of the human ancestry of Jesus, his family tree. And then we're also looking forward to see this legacy of blessing that he passes on to all those who carry his name, who kind of put that belt around them, and also ultimately, of course, in their hearts, that they're trusting in Jesus as the Son. And uh, what's cool about the Bible, and we've already gone through this a little bit in Genesis, is that there's all these genealogies that are helping us to connect the dots of ancestry. So it's way better than Ancestry.com in the sense that we have every single person who's in the line. And we have these two genealogies of Jesus. One's in Matthew 1 and another one's in Luke 3. We're not going to look there this morning, but that's where we got this series from in which we are looking at Jesus as the Son of God and to look back on his family history. But what's different about Jesus is it's not just a list of names. It's actually also a series of titles. And so the first title that we looked at last week was something called Jesus, the Son of Adam. And so Jesus comes as the second Adam to, in essence, to kind of redo all that, uh, that Adam did before as our representative, to restore, to rescue, to redeem the brokenness of humanity. And so we looked at it last week, and then this week we're going to look at another title of Jesus, Jesus the Son of Abraham. And so that's our our title this morning, Jesus the Son of Abraham. And if you didn't pick up already, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 3. So you can turn there with me. And as you do, here's the big idea. The big idea for today is that through Jesus we enjoy the blessings promised to Abraham and to his children. Through Jesus, we enjoy the blessings promised to Abraham and his children. We're going to answer three questions, but before we answer those questions, let me go ahead and pray for our time. Father, we want to come to you this morning with grateful hearts. We want to come to you as the people of God, desiring to know you, to understand you, to to relate to you to adore you, as as Pastor Paul said earlier, to gaze upon you. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that understands and and treasures all that you are for us? Please help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to answer three questions this morning. Who is Abraham? Who are the sons of Abraham? And then what are the blessings promised to the sons of Abraham? And so, of course, that word sons, we'll, we refer to that as, as sons and daughters. So first, who is Abraham? Well, if you've been tracking with us throughout the fall, you know that we've been tracking the, the life of Abraham for a while as we study the book of Genesis. And so we're not going to go super in-depth into who Abraham is. But, but the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, he kind of gives three big highlights of Abraham's life. And so we're just going to capture them really quickly as we walk through this passage of scripture. And so the first one is we're introduced to Abraham in verse 6. And, uh, and at this section of his life, he is um, 75 years old. His wife is barren. And he is most likely worshiping pagan gods. And God calls him out. He calls him out from among all the people. And he, he promises us those amazing blessings uh, that, that are just, I mean, you read them and you're like, whoa. And so let's read them. So Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so God promises right off the bat to Abraham, he says, hey, I am going to promise you with a great name, a great nation, and through you, you will be a great source of blessing for all the families of the earth. And I'm sure Abraham's just like, what? <laughs> I mean, these types of promises are just huge. They, they span generations. They span the whole of humanity. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 15. Actually, before we do that, just real quick, one, one, one unique thing that Paul says when he says this in, in verse 8, when this is promised to Abraham, Paul calls this the gospel. He calls this the good news. He says the scripture proclaimed to Abraham. He says, and you shall all the nations be blessed. In other words, this is good news. This is the gospel. And when you believe, you will receive these blessings and all those who believe will receive these blessings. So now fast forward to Genesis 15. Abraham has obeyed. He believes God. He's now gone to the land of Canaan. He's wondering when God will give him this son and begin to establish this new nation and bless the world through his descendant. And in this place of wondering and waiting, God speaks again. And he doesn't just restate his promises. He, he in essence, doubles down. He establishes a covenant with Abraham. He, he separates these animals. He puts them to death. And God himself walks through the middle of them as if to say, Abraham, if I don't keep these promises, I will die. And Abraham doesn't have to walk through these because this is up to God alone to keep his promises. And at the end of that covenant... It says, Abraham believes once again, and this time, as Paul records for us in verse 6, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed righteousness. Abraham believed justified. Abraham believed promises given to Abraham. Fast forward one more time. Abraham's faith definitely goes through some ups and downs as we've read Lots of ups and downs, like we talk about like the stock market, you know, have these ups and these downs, but there's a general trajectory of the stock market. Just like Abraham's faith, it is increasing. And it comes to a climax in Genesis chapter 22. We haven't gotten there yet in our study of Genesis, and so we're not going to go in detail yet. But let's give a, a quick snapshot here of what's going on. And so Abraham now, he's, he's over 100 years old. He's got this son named Isaac, this son of promise. He's been, he's been waiting for him for a long time. This is the promised son that God has given to Abraham, and he's super excited. And then God, out of nowhere, says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son. I want you to give him up. I want you to trust in me. I want you to hold tighter to me than you hold to your son Isaac. And Abraham trusts in God. Hebrews 11 actually records, he says, it says that Abraham believed that God could even raise Isaac from the dead in order to ensure that his blessings would come to him and to his descendants. But as we know, God stops Abraham from sacrificing his one and only son. He provides a ram in the thicket as a substitute for Isaac. And of course, we know that that foreshadows the true son of Abraham, Jesus Christ, that we'll get to in a minute. And then God says this in Genesis chapter 22. He says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. 
I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. He uses this word offspring several times. We're going to get to what the word offspring means in a second. But for right now, let's just grab hold of what God is saying. He's saying, I am going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to give to you as many descendants as the stars. And he even expands that and says, and as many descendants as the sand on the seashore. And in your offspring, I will bless the world. Amazing promises that are made to Abraham. And Abraham once again believes God. He trusts in God. But there's this question, though. Well, who truly are the offspring of Abraham? How do we receive these blessings that flow from the promises that were made to Abraham? Well, that leads us to question number two. Who are the sons of Abraham? We could expand this really to say, who are the sons and daughters of Abraham? Who are the descendants of Abraham? Who are the offspring of of Abraham. Anybody grow up singing Father Abraham? That is the weirdest song I've ever sung. <laughs> right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, turn around, sit down, and now I'm a son of Abraham. Like, I, I did not understand as a kid. I still don't understand as an adult. That's not how we become a son of Abraham. Now, there was also this question, though, that even continued on in the time of the Galatians that we're reading here. Who truly are the sons of Abraham? How do you become a son of Abraham? How do you become a descendant? How do you receive these blessings? And throughout the history, ever since these promises were made to Abraham, there's really two ways that this is applied. The first type of descendant or offspring of Abraham are physical Descendants. These are people that come in the physical line, the physical bloodline of Abraham. It's what we call the nation of Israel. And these are people who were directly tied to Abraham as their father. Uh, Throughout the centuries, these physical descendants of Abraham, they are blessed and preserved with a land, with a with a culture, with a heritage, and through Moses, they're blessed with a law to help separate them from the rest of the people around them. And so these physical descendants, all people who are tied to the bloodline of Abraham are physical descendants. They're a fulfillment of the promises that God gave to Abraham to bless him with a nation. But as we know, there's a second type of son or offspring of Abraham, a totally different type. And these people are not brought into the the family of Abraham through physical birth, they're brought in by spiritual birth, through faith in the Son of God. Verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. See, in the Old Testament, most of these physical sons We're not spiritual sons. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about that. He says, not all who are of Israel are of Israel. But there are many who are inextricably linked together. These physical sons are also spiritual sons. And they're not trusting in their obedience. They're not trusting in following the laws of Moses completely. They are trusting in the one to come. The one who will truly grant to them blessings. These are people who believe like Abraham. And it's not just people of Israel, but there are even others outside of the people of Israel who are brought in. People like Ruth, the Moabite, 
Rahab the Canaanite, Jethro the Midianite, Naaman the Aramean, these others who are not a part of the physical line of Abraham, but they are brought into the spiritual line of Abraham, looking forward to the son, the true son of Abraham. And that brings us to the ultimate fulfillment of this question, who are the sons of Abraham? Who are the sons of Abraham is those who are connected to the son of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Jesus was born into a physical family of Abraham. He was a part of the people of Israel. He was a physical offspring, but he was so much more than that. He was a true spiritual son. He was the promised spiritual son. He was perfect in every way. He fulfilled every righteous requirement of the law completely. He trusted in his father perfectly. He was, as verse 16 says, the offspring. Verse 16, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. In other words, Paul is trying to help us understand Genesis 22 a little bit better. He says, yes, there are many offsprings, many descendants, but there is one true offspring, the true son of Abraham. In order to be an offspring of the sons of Abraham, you have to be connected to the son of Abraham. In other words, Jesus flips the family tree upside down. Everyone thought that the blessings came by being a part of Abraham's family. Jesus flips the family tree up by, upside down and he says, I am the true son of Abraham and all the blessings flow through me. In fact, Abraham is right underneath me. He's receiving the blessings that come from me. Tells the, tells the Pharisees, he says, before Abraham was, I am. I am the one through whom all the blessings flow. I am the true offspring of Abraham that was promised even before Abraham existed. Verse 8. Again, let me read it to you. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the, justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. What's beautiful here is that now not just the Jewish people, but the Gentiles as well are connected to Jesus Christ. That's us. We are a fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham. But fast forward 35 years, this promise, these promises that are made to Abraham are coming to fruition with Gentiles in greater numbers. But there's this problem because in the letter to the Galatians, there's still these struggles and hardships as the, as the people of God are trying to apply the truths of God's word to truly understand what does this mean and how do I grab hold of these promises of God? How do I truly enjoy the blessings that are promised to Abraham and to his descendants? And that leads us to question number three. What are the blessings promised to the sons and the daughters of Abraham? But in looking at these blessings, I want to see how they combat against real three struggles that not only the Galatian Christians experience, but also we experience even to this day. And so the first struggle that we often wrestle with is whether we are truly right with God. 
to accommodate that struggle, we want to talk about the blessing of acceptance. How many of you, how many of you struggle with the sense of, I am completely accepted by God? Anybody struggle with that? Anybody wrestle with that? Anybody have a hard time receiving that? For what it is, well, the Galatian Christians were right there with you. In fact, they were told by the Jewish Christians and even some false believers saying, Jesus is not enough for you. It's Jesus plus works. You must do certain things in order to truly be accepted by God. And if this is where you might be, let's read the words of the Apostle Paul, starting in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified, or we could say accepted, before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. There's a lot of big words here. Things like justified and cursed and redeemed and works and law and faith. And I wish I could take enough time to dig deeply into this passage, but let me just kind of summarize it in this way. There's two different ways to live. One way to live is to live according to your works, to be accepted by God. And those who live in that way or those who go back to that way, like some of the Galatian Christians were tempted to do, are under a curse. It only leads to frustration. It only leads to doubt. It only leads to fear. But those who are truly trusting in Jesus Christ, they are redeemed. They are rescued. They are delivered. They are declared righteous. And I'm sure many of you might be like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. Yeah, Scott, I got it. I'm accepted by God. Yes, Jesus, got it. Well, if you're like me, though, even though I agree with this statement, there's a lot of times where I still struggle. And somebody will ask you just some kind of heart-oriented questions as we think about what this truly means to be right with God, to be accepted. Question number one, do you tend to obey God under compulsion because you have to, or do you obey him out of love for God and joy in him? Another question, when you mess up, do you fear that your master will punish you or that your father will forgive you? There's another question. Do you focus on following the rules or do you focus on building an abiding relationship with God? There's one more for you. Do you fear that you must work and that you'll maybe be given some honor on the last day? Or are you confident that you are honored and that you're invited to join the work. The challenge for us, and there's this something inside of us that equates our status with our behavior. There's something deep in our, whole, our, our souls that just say, I want to trust in myself. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I also think that there's something that my works contribute to my right standing before God. 
And this is a curse that we live under. This was a curse that the Galatians lived under. And God says, no, I want you to trust in Jesus Christ alone. He was cursed on your behalf. He was cursed on a tree. And he gives to you his perfect righteousness. Rest in him alone. Let me give you a little illustration of this. There's a story about a man by the name of Charles Blondin. He was a, um, a tightrope walker back in the late 1800s. And uh, he did all sorts of crazy feats. He came over from France to the United States to be able to show all of these acrobatic feats that he would do. And one thing in particular that he desired to do was to really show off his skills. And so he put a tightrope from one side of Niagara Falls to the other without any net. 1,100 feet gorge. And if anybody have been to Niagara Falls, I have... I would not recommend doing that. It's crazy. But he said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove to you how great I am. And so this huge crowd came out to watch him. And so he, he gets out his, his, his pole and he starts to take steps across the tightrope. Crowds ooing and aahing and gasping, wondering whether he's going to cross. And he crosses without any problem. And then to show off, he crosses back. And then he comes back on the other side and he says, hey, I'm not finished yet. I got another feat to show off. I'm going to cross the tightrope with a person on my back. People are like, yeah, all right, now who's going to volunteer? What? Here we go one by one. Hey, do you believe that I can cross it? I can cross the Niagara Falls? Yes. Do you believe that I can do it with somebody on my back? Yes. Will you do it? Absolutely not. Heck no. Went one by one to do it. Nobody would respond No, everyone agreed, but no one would trust until this man, by the name of Harry Concord, he moves to the front of the line, and Charles Blondin puts him him a question. He says, do you believe that I can carry you safely across? Yes, I do. Are you willing to let me? As a matter of fact, I am. And so the young man climbed on Blondin's back, and the great tightrope walker stepped out onto the rope. And then before they took any steps, he, he said this. He said, Look up. (laughs) Don't look down. (laughs) Look up. You are no longer hairy. You are blondin. Until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. Trust in me completely. And so, Harry hopped on blondin's back, and here's a picture walked all the way across. Charles trusted in Blondin completely. And he went across the gorge with no problem whatsoever. You see, when you and I are tempted to trust in ourselves, we will fall off the tightrope of life every single time. We trust in Jesus completely. He's the only way that we can be accepted before God. He's the only one who gives us right standing before God. Rest in him. Hold tight to him. Look to him. I'll share with you a passage, or excuse me, a quote from D. Larton Lone Jones. He says, the man, or you could say the woman or the child, the one who has faith is the one who is no longer looking at himself and no longer looking to himself. He no longer looks at anything he once was. He does not look at what he is now. He does not look at what he hopes to be. He looks entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work, and he rests on that alone.
That is justification by faith. That is acceptance before God. Martin Luther, he wrestled through this identity issue. Am I a sinner? Am I right with God? How do I reconcile those things? And he finally read these words that we read earlier. The righteous shall live by faith. I believe in Jesus completely and he's my righteousness. And then all of a sudden he felt accepted for the very first time. As believers, one of the biggest ways that we can minister to one another is not to call one another sinners, although we are, but instead to call one another's saints. You are holy. You are set apart by God. In faith, in Jesus Christ, you are accepted. And when your buddy, when your friend, when your spouse, when your kid messes up royally, don't beat them up. Tell them, God loves you. He's forgiven you. No sin that you commit can separate you from the love of God, which is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christ is enough for you. And then give him a big hug. That's what we need when we're struggling, when we're wrestling. We need the sure, steadfast foundation that is found in Jesus Christ. So that's the blessing of acceptance. Let's move on. The blessing of assurance. You know, a second struggle that the believers and us too, we often face is that even though we're accepted by God, there's still this sort of distance sometimes that we experience from God because of our circumstances or our sin or our struggles or what someone has done to us or what we've done. Life has a way of just helping us to make us feel distant from God. The Galatian Christians, they felt this way. They felt isolated. They felt alone. They were made fun of by these so-called Jewish believers, and they were told that they didn't have the goods to truly be called children of God. They weren't good enough. They didn't measure up. They weren't a part of the right clan. And they were tempted to believe, I, I, God's, yeah, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I, I, I'm sort of brought in, but, but I'm still distant from God. Let me read to you verse 14 again. Listen to this. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Here's the second blessing. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So in that place of distance, God says, I've sent my very spirit to live inside of you, to dwell within you. You are not distant from me. I'm not even just near you. I'm in you. And one of the amazing ways that the Spirit works in our hearts, he does a ton of different things. But one thing in particular is to assure us that we are children of God. Fast forward over to chapter 4. Paul picks up on this theme. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. There's the first part. We are accepted. But then the second part, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God wants you to be so assured that you are a child of God that he doesn't just tell you that. He sent the spirit into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And this is different from Romans 8. In Romans 8, where it talks about the spirit And his work of this idea of crying out, Abba, Father, it says we cry out, Abba, Father. But here it says that the Spirit himself cries out, Abba, Father. So if you are, if you don't even have the words to say, God is so committed to helping you to hear the words that you're my son or my daughter, that he sends his Spirit crying out, Abba, Father, when you can't cry out yourself. 
That is assurance. That is a gift of the Spirit. Let's look what Tim Keller says. He says this is a sense of God's immediate presence and love that comes to us. We don't get this all the time or even often, and it may not be a strong feeling, but there will be times when as we cry out to Abba, we find ourselves deeply assured that he really is our Abba. That is the Spirit's work, testifying for us and to us that we truly are sons and daughters, offspring, children of the living God. Oh, I long for you to experience that, to get that sense of God's presence, to know that you know that you know that you know deep in your soul that you're a child of God. It reminds me of a story. Um, Raja and Jessica, they are gospel partners of ours. Um, Jessica was a part of our church. She went over to India. She married Raja. They ministered in India for a while. They came back so they could do more, some more training. Um, They brought a son with them uh, named Adam. They adopted him. He had profound special needs. He ended up passing away a few years ago. Since then, they've had three more kids, and now they're preparing to return back to India. But before they go back to minister full-time, Jess really wanted a girl. (laughs) And so she said, I want to adopt a girl. I want to bring a girl into my family. I want to help her to to know deep in her soul that she has parents who love her. And so um, we've been tracking through this story. Um, Many of you have have, have tracked alongside of me. And so a little over a year ago, they finally um, were told that they they had the sufficient resources to be able to to, um, adopt. And then they were given a couple of pictures. And here they are. Her name is Nuri. Nuri was an orphanage in an orphanage in India. Um, don't know anything of her past. And Raja and Jessica said, Jessica said, that's ours. Now, they went through the paperwork, they went through the process, and they had to wait for a very long time. People would tell Nuri that someone was coming, that she was accepted. But then finally, a couple weeks ago, Raja and Jessica and the three boys got on the plane, come to the orphanage, and Raja called out, Nuri. Nuri perked her head around, and then here's a picture. Raja picks up Nuri, puts her in his arms, Jess does the same, and they say, you're mine. You're my daughter. That is the work of the Spirit. That divine hug that just lets you know deep in your soul that you are a child of God. That is why we are given the Spirit in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, because we really do have a Father who loves us. J.I. Packer says this. Oh, by the way, let me show you one more picture. That's what happens. There's... Nori, she knows deep in her soul, I am a child who's loved, who's known, who's accepted, who's been brought into a family. J.I. Packer says this. He says, in adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God, the judge, i.e. justification or acceptance, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by the God, the Father, adoption is a far greater thing. 
And just to give you another snapshot of what this looks like, this is what happens at the baptism of Jesus. If you think back with me, Jesus, he has been on earth for 30 years. He's just been a carpenter. He's been living out his physical, human sort of life, seeking to please his father, not just his earthly one, but his heavenly one as well. But before he does any earthly ministry, before he does anything to gain right standing before his father, even though he certainly did everything perfectly, this is what God says. The heavens depart. God the Father speaks, and he says, this is my beloved son. He says this publicly for all the people to hear. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my son. I accept him. I am pleased with him. He's my beloved son. And he says that, and then in order to reassure Jesus of how he is loved by his father, he sends the Spirit of God onto Jesus in the form of a dove. Is it to say, Jesus, I'm going to make sure that when the pain of life and the struggle of life come in, that you know deep in your soul that you're mine. And so I want you to hear this. If this is where you are, if you're feeling distant from God, I pray the Spirit will well up in your soul right now that you could be able to hear, not just with physical ears, but with a spiritual heart. You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Because you are in Christ, you are my beloved daughter, with whom I am well pleased. Because of Jesus, we are brought into that same relationship that he has with his Father. That is the blessing of assurance. Sweet assurance. Last but not least, the blessing of belonging. One last struggle that the Galatians experienced was the sense of division in the body of Christ. There was separation. They didn't really fit in. Has ever felt that way? Even in church, you might be sitting in a row right now, but you don't feel like you fit in. Whether it's your family background, or it's your sin history, or it's your race, or it's your ethnicity, or it's your age, or it's your gender, or you, you, it's even just your, your sense of married versus unmarried, divorced, whatever it might be. There's these senses of belongings that you don't fit in, that you're not welcomed. Well, this was the same experience that was going on in Galatia, particularly along racial lines between Jews and Gentiles. In fact, there was a morning prayer that was popular among Jewish rabbi at the time where they would thank God because they were not born a Gentile or a slave or a woman. Let me read to you verses 26 through 29 again. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ to put on Christ, that just means we're covered in Christ. We're entrusting ourselves to Christ. If that's the case for you and for me, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Did you see what the Apostle Paul did there? All three of those categories that that the Jewish rabbis prayed, saying those things, Gentile, those things, female, those things, slave, No, that is not a boundary for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no second-class Christians. There's equal footing at the cross of Jesus Christ. There's equal acceptance. There's equal adoption. There's equal belonging in the family of God. 
and the divisive nature that we, the divisive culture that we live in, where there's just division everywhere. We have an amazing, glorious opportunity to display for all the world to see that in Christ, we are all the family of God. Even today, there's still Christians. We, we draw lines between races, between ethnicities, between ages, between married and divorced, between never married and between economic classes, all of these different things. We draw lines there. And Jesus says there is only one line. It's the line of Jesus Christ, and everyone receives the blessings of God regardless of those things. All of us who are putting our faith in Jesus Christ are welcomed into his family. Even if you've got the most messed up family tree there is, you've got the most glorious family tree with Jesus at the center where we are all one in the body of Christ. And we are all called to enjoy the blessings of Abraham both now and forever. And so today, if you are at odds with somebody, if you're divided with someone, please reconcile to them. Ask for forgiveness. Don't let that divide keep you from experiencing the blessing of belonging. If you see someone who's an outsider, who's sitting alone, or who's on the outskirts of a friend group, or you're in your neighborhood and just don't have anyone, reach out to them. Next week, if you see somebody sitting by themselves, sit next to them. Say, hey, we're, we're in the family of God together. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Build a friendship with somebody who's not like you. Help them to see the love of Christ through you. Help them to understand that through Jesus Christ, they belong. And pray for our missionaries. Pray for them. There is this promise that the blessings will come to all the families of the earth. That, that word can also be translated nations or people groups. There are literally people groups around the world that have no known believers zero. Many of our gospel partners are going to those dark places of the world to help them to understand that in Jesus Christ they belong. Pray for them. So today, the issue is not are you Jew or Gentile? The issue is not are you slave or free? The issue is not are you male or female or whatever category you might come up with to bring about division or whatever it is. Instead, the only issue is are you Christ's? And if you are, then you are accepted. You are declared righteous. You are adopted and assured of this by the very Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And you are welcomed. You belong in the family of God, both now and forever. Let me read to you one last quote from John Stott as we close. He says, The gospel enables me to answer the most basic of all human questions. This is the most basic one that we all wrestle with. Who am I? And the gospel helps me to say, in Christ, I am a child of God. In Christ, I am united to all the redeemed people of God, past, present, and future. In Christ, I discover my identity. In Christ, I find my feet. In Christ, I come home. Come home. Rest in acceptance, rest in assurance, and rest in belonging in the family of God as we trust in Jesus, the true son of Abraham. Let's pray.